morning and welcome to Cross Timber Baptist Church. We're so glad you joined us from your home this morning. And we are all looking forward to the day that we can all gather together here in this place to worship together. Some of you may have heard that churches are already starting to open up across Texas. And I just want you to know that our goal here at Cross Timber is to open as safely as possible and as soon as possible. So if you're a church member, be looking out. You should receive a letter from the church early next week. If you're just watching online, you can go to our church website and we should have some thing on there early next week, letting you know about when we may be able to open. But again, we're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Greetings and blessings from the Ikes and the Hoilers, and we're under 10. We love you all. Church family. Hi. We miss you. We love you. Hope to see you soon. Who's that? Church family. Hope you're doing as well as we are. Good morning, Cross Timber Baptist Church. Will you join me in praying this morning? Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can join together in worship through the blessing of technology. 
We thank you that in the homes that we are in, we can lift our hearts together in worship and with praise. And we pray that you would help us this morning to limit distractions, to quiet our spirits, to quiet our our hearts, to prepare to worship you. That we would sing songs from our hearts filled with, with joy and praise to a God who is so gracious and so good and who provides for all our needs. That we would listen intently to the things that are said and the words that are sung. And Lord, you would help them to be applied to our hearts by your spirit. And Father, we remember this morning those that are hurting, those that are sick, those that are without jobs, those that are in desperate situations or those that are in dire need. And we thank you that you are not only the provider, but you are the God of all comfort. And Father, we ask that in the midst of their circumstances, you would reach down and meet them where they are and that they would reach up and they would see with their eyes and feel with their hearts a God who loves them, a God who desires the best for them, a God who longs for them to have a relationship with him and that they would see the Savior, that they would see the Lord Jesus high and lifted up. And Lord, out of their need, out of their desperation, they would call on you. They would turn from their ways and turn to you. God, we pray that you would help us to turn our hearts toward you this morning. And Lord, you would grant us the ability to be rooted and grounded in love. And you would give us strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of your love. And that we would know that love that surpasses all understanding. And that you would fill us with all the fullness of yourself through the power of your spirit. We are grateful for the privilege of worship. And we ask you to guide us as our worship leader this morning. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Really only one number that matters. And it's not the number of people that were in your church on Sunday. The number that matters is the percentage of lostness in your city. We're really winning from a kingdom standpoint when the percentage of lostness in our cities begins to go down. I think too often... We strategize about how to grow our church when what we really ought to be thinking about is how do we penetrate the lostness of our city. There needs to be a shift happen. If we're going to be evangelistic and have that kind of passion, we've got to not just think about our church, but we've got to think about how do we engage the city with the gospel. We don't simply need to be known by the corner we inhabit. We need to be known by the city with which we interact. So if we're going to lead out with an evangelistic zeal, we must understand that our primary calling isn't just a church. It's to a city that needs to be engaged with the gospel.
Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. Good morning, Cross Timber family. This morning, I want to sing We Fall Down by Chris Tomlin. I'm going to sing it first in Japanese, and then I'm going to sing it in English. As I sing it in Japanese, listen out for the word Iesu. That's the name of Jesus in Japanese. So I hope you enjoy. Psalm 131 O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.
prayer. There is a need for prayer among God's people today. Prayer leads to the proclamation of God's word and the pouring out of revival. The National Day of Prayer is a vital year-round movement. Rallying prayer for America. As this movement has grown, it has inspired, encouraged, and ignited many prayer movements across our nation and around the world. Every year, the first Thursday in May is the National Day of Prayer. From early morning to late night, from the east to the west, God's people, young and old, will gather in prayer events across our nation to cry out to God for America and to pray God's glory across the earth. Habakkuk 2:14 proclaims a promise and a hope to every generation. Will you join us? Will you tell others? Will you pray? How are you doing this morning? We're approaching two months of the pandemic, and I was wondering, are you restless, unsettled? How about your thought life? What occupies your, your mind? Maybe it's trying to straighten out the government or solving the economic problems, or maybe you've determined to find the source of the virus, where it came from. Or maybe you're just spending your days trying to figure out truth from fiction when you turn on the news. Or maybe you're wondering, what in the world is God up to? And maybe even taking some time to offer him some suggestions about what he should do. In times of adversity, are you a humble, content, hopeful child? Or if you were honest, would you admit, like me sometimes, that I'm just kind of a spoiled brat? Saying things like, God, why is this happening? I don't know why everyone's so worried. It's not really that bad. Or, I just want things to be normal again. Or, why is this taking so long? At the root of all these things lies a lack of trust in the Lord, a a faint view of hope. We downplay the greatness of God's love for us. We dismiss the fact that He's sovereign and we let doubt overshadow our faith. And we lose sight of the one who has a love that endures forever and offers plentiful redemption. More than enough. This morning, I want us to look at King David, the shepherd boy who became king, and see what he might be able to teach us about what it means to rest in the Lord. And I hope we can answer the question, how can someone have a calm and quiet spirit when all hell breaks loose? When things just seem to be falling apart or when they find themselves in an unimaginable situation. Psalm 131 this morning, it's just three verses. We heard them read earlier, but I would like to read them again. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a winged child with his mother, like a winged child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Father, we ask you to guide us by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to gain understanding that will lead to transformation. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, not to go into too much detail, but let's just say a little bit about David, the author King David was the greatest king of Israel. You may remember from your Bible stories that he was the shepherd boy who slew the giant Goliath with a slingshot. He's the one described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. He's the one who wrote the 23rd Psalm. It's the one that Psalm 78 says that God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds from following the nursing ewes, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance with an upright heart. He shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Great King David. 
in 2016 in the heat of the presidential elections, a rabbi, David Wolpe, wrote an article for Time magazine titled, What King David Could Teach Today's Presidential Candidates. Three lessons he cited. One, great leaders learn from their mistakes, and David certainly did. Great leaders choose humility over pride, and David longed to do that. And great leaders have faith. They trust in God. And so today, as we look at Psalm 131, I thought we might look at what King David could teach today's troubled souls. How to have a calm and quiet soul with childlike faith, humility, simplicity, contentment, and hopefulness. You see, this psalm describes the beauty of childlike faith. It paints us a picture of a weaned child with its mother. Children have a remarkable ability to trust. There's no pretense. There's no pride. There's no worry. They have an unspoken confidence in their parents. Mom and dad will protect me. Mom and dad will provide for me. And just the mere presence of mom or dad in the room when they're in eyesight and they're in earshot brings a calmness and a quietness to the soul of a child. And in Psalm 131, we have the picture of a weaned child that's no longer dependent on their mother for nourishment. They've outgrown the need for mother's milk. And they're not crying out loudly, I'm hungry, feed me. No, they're a child that is content simply with the presence of their mother. Their loving embrace. Alec Moiti, a theologian, said it this way. It's the total relaxation, unquestioning commitment, the absence of fretfulness of a five-year-old holding his mother's hand. All is well. The world is safe. What more could they want? And David expresses this trusting, childlike faith in a simple phrase. It's in verse 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul. There's no struggling against God's embrace, but there's a yieldedness to it. There's no noisiness and anxiousness in their spirit, in their voice, but they are replaced by calm and quietness. Psalm 62, verse 1 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. You see, you'll never find calm and quiet apart from Christ, the one who spoke peace to the stormy sea is the one that can speak peace to your soul this morning. And he brings that peace by his abiding presence. And this psalm outlines for us the characteristics of what that calm and quiet spirit looks like. And the first thing David points out is humility. It's a uniquely Christian character trait. It's something the world looks at as weakness and even scoffs at, that people would be humble. But it's the humble heart that finds rest in the Lord. Listen to how David expresses it. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. You see, David learned the lesson that pride is destructive. It damages relationships both between God and man and between man and man. And he learned that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, a proud heart has its own agenda. Desires only what pleases self. Considers themselves better than others and exalts itself and looks down at others. By contrast, a humble heart allows Christ to set the agenda. Has a desire to please their king and considers others better than themselves. And looks to exalt Jesus to lift up others in all they do. You see, a humble heart submits to Christ and learns from Christ. They hear his voice. They receive his truth. And they're able to walk in loving obedience to him. That's why in Psalm 25, verse 9, it says, The Lord leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. A humble heart is a teachable Heart and a teachable, humble heart has access to God's leadership by his spirit and God's wisdom through his word. 
humility is vitally important. Because without it, we can't live in simplicity and contentment. And we see both of those in the last half of verse 1. First, simplicity. It's the state of being simple and uncomplicated. Something that's easy to understand or easy to do. It's plain. It's natural. Simplicity allows us to occupy our time with what is most important. Think about it. At the end of a busy day, a simple meal is something that's easy to prepare and a blessing to the family. Simple instructions make something easier to assemble. And a simple life creates more room to focus on what really is important. In verse 1, David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Let's just face it. Sometimes things are just over our head. On the light end of things, we have topics like quantum physics, microbiology, and brain surgery. We have some things of a little weightier amount when we get to the Bible. The creation account, what's really going on there. The second coming, how's that going to happen? And then we have the book of Revelation. There's a blessing in reading it, but who really understands everything about it? And then we get to the more complex subjects of the greatness and the depth of God's love for us and the depth and the wonder of his marvelous grace. How the God of all creation, a holy, righteous God, could love me, a sinner. Things we don't understand, but wow, we really are grateful for, aren't we? see, a prideful heart would choose to insert themselves into any of these situations. Seems to have the solution, the answer, knows everything and offers their opinions freely and expects people to accept them widely. But we see in our psalm that David, a king, a man of authority, a man with power, choose to embrace simple faith. He acknowledges that some things are just beyond human understanding. They're even above his head, and he's the king, and they're above his pay scale, even though he had great riches. And it's guidance to us that we should understand and realize that some things should be just left to God. And they're not for us to worry about. You see, a humble heart learns that things in this world that God does are too great and marvelous for us. They're part of God's secret and sovereign purposes. And like the Message Bible says, that sometimes we need to be about avoiding meddling when we have no business. To learn to accept the fact that there are some unanswerable questions and yet to trust God. Now, closely related to simplicity is contentment. Now, while Simplicity seeks to make things easy to do or understand. Contentment seeks to live a simple life, a life that is satisfied, satisfied in Christ, satisfied in who they are, satisfied in what they have and contented in God and trusting in him to provide. What does it take for us to be content? Well, it takes a heart that's in the right place and it takes eyes that are focused on the right things. You see, humble eyes focus on Christ first, other people second, and only themselves last. They're not easily distracted by possessions, by things that look great, that are shiny, that are attractive. And they're not interested in gaining a higher level of position. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, encouraging this young pastor But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. See, a humble heart is easily satisfied. And let me just ask you this morning, is your heart easily satisfied? Are the basic necessities, food and clothing, enough for you to be content? See, a humble person who is content is settled in their relationship with Christ. 
they're confident in their own idea, identity, because they're confident in Christ. And they seek God's kingdom first, and then they trust God to take care of the rest. And if we want to truly be content, we have to trust God. David and anyone who has a calm and quiet soul would say they would have one thing in common, and that's a trusting relationship with God. We call it faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And he goes on to say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, faith is learning to trust God even when we can't see in the immediate what he is doing. It's acknowledging that God is constant. He never changes. He's good. And his ways are perfect. And he's sovereign. All things, all things are under his control. And he always has the final word. But it's also realizing that we are not God. That we are fallen people. We wander, we waver, and we waffle. We have a hard enough time in the morning deciding what we're going to have for breakfast. Much alone figure out what we should be doing without God's help. There's no goodness in us. And while we think we should be in control, we are not in control. So faith is letting go of yourself, your doubts, your fears, and letting God be God in your life. It's trusting that he will not let you down. David learned what it meant to trust God. He was chosen at a young age by God to be king. He was anointed by Samuel to be king. And then the story gets a little bit rough. The road gets a little bumpy. Because Saul, who was king, who was rejected by God, was jealous of David, tries to kill him, keeps on pursuing him. And while David could have killed Saul, the Bible tells us that he refuses to raise a hand against God's anointed. He refused to act against Saul. And so David runs, David dodges, David trusts, and David waits. And God, in his time, was faithful. He kept his promise. David was king. And David's line would be the straight path toward the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. You see, you may be waiting on God today. Trusting in his word, maybe you're tempted to give up or try to take matters in your own hands. But here's my encouragement to you. Trust God to be who the Bible says he is and he won't let you down. While Deborah and I didn't have to wait until our 90s to receive a child we were on a journey of promise for God to provide. After a long battle with infertility, difficulty, disappointment, not understanding really what God was up to, in May of 2011, the phone rings. My name's Marie Jones. I'm a missionary in Honduras. And we have a little girl in our home who is blind and I need to teach her Braille. And at that moment in that conversation, it's a great longer story that I I would love to go into and share it with you, but we don't have time. A journey began, but it was still years away before it was complete. Oh, there were many prayers. There were phone calls, emails, time spent, money from generous family, generous loved ones. There were times of excitement, times of frustration. There were delays. There was discouragement. There was prayer. But all the while, there was a determination to hold on to what God had promised. And on June 17, 2015, our gotcha day, Samara Grace Gillum became part of our family. A remarkable Young lady with a very miraculous story. And we had to wait on God. But God didn't let us down. And let me just tell you this morning from the bottom of my heart, God is faithful and you can trust him.
And when you trust in God's faithfulness and his love, it leads to a hope that never, ever disappoints. You see, hope is the last characteristic of a calm and quiet soul. Hope is that confident, certain expectation of something in the future. It's going to happen. Not because we think it's going to happen or we hope it's going to happen. It's going to happen simply because God has declared it. And you can experience real hope only when you place your faith in Christ. You look all around, anywhere you go, and you see hopelessness. It's the telltale sign of those who are apart from Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us in verse 12, makes it very clear, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Did you catch that? Without Christ, without hope, without God in the world. Before Jesus, David was part of that legacy of hope in the Old Testament. Abraham, who hoped against hope, believing God's promise to him that he would be the father of many nations, that God had promised to bless him and make him a blessing, that God had promised through the prophets to send a Messiah, and that God made a promise to this man, David, that his descendants would be on the throne forever, that there would be an eternal reign and an unending kingdom through the prophets, that there would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem of Judah, One who would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, whose kingdom would never end. That this prince of peace would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. But he would be resurrected from the grave for God would not allow his holy one to see corruption. He would come again from the clouds as the son of man. As Daniel would proclaim. You see, hope in the Lord is realized fully in Jesus. And the hope never disappoints because God always keeps his promises. He's absolutely trustworthy. And here's the good news. You can be born into this hope by faith today. Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Sounds pretty great. And it's available hope in Christ. And you see in the last verse of Psalm 131, David encourages the people of God to hope in the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Because hope is alive because Jesus is alive. There is a present hope for here and now. There's a future hope, a forever hope. And Spurgeon said it this way, in life and in death, here is a blessed confidence that will never fail you. Rabbi Hugo Grin, who was a young boy in the prison camp of Auschwitz during World War II, where Jews were murdered by the Nazis, where food supplies were meager and conditions were harsh. He lived there with his father in one time around the season of Hanukkah. His father took a lump of margarine, kept it as fuel so they could light the menorah during Hanukkah for the festival. Hugo couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that his dad was taking food and holding it back. Why was he wasting this food? And his father replied to him with great confidence. We know that it's possible to live three weeks without food, but without hope, it is impossible to live properly For even three minutes. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. You see, it really comes down to this. Only when you trust Christ, hope in the Lord, will you be able to calm and quiet your soul. It won't happen any other way. 
It takes the one who the wind and waves obey to command peace be still to your heart. Only the one who humbled himself to die on the cross can bring true humility to your life by the power of the Spirit. And the secret of true commitment, contentment is only found in Christ. Because you see, when you trust in Christ, burdens are eased, freedom is found, victory is secure, rest is found, for He is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our only hope. So let me ask you this. When all hell breaks loose, when things seem to be falling apart, or when you find yourself in an unimaginable situation, do you have a calm and quiet spirit? If the uncertainty, confusion, and uncomfortableness of the last couple of months have got you wondering, have got you fretting, do you know that you can have a calm and quiet spirit? You'll only find it in Christ. But there's good news. You can find it today. I want to close by reading just some lyrics from a song was written by Keith Getty and several others, and it's called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing Alleluia. Our hope springs eternal. O sing alleluia. Now and ever we confess. Christ our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who strands, stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore? The rock of Christ. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Their sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy. When Christ is ours forevermore. Hope and peace is only available in Christ. Is Christ yours for now and evermore? Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. It's wonderful. It's powerful. It works in ways that we don't understand. But God, one thing I do know is when your word is proclaimed or your word is read, it is powerful, it's living, and it's active in its work. And so this morning, I'm praying for your word to do its work in our hearts. For those that need encouragement and strengthening, I pray that you would provide that. For those that are believers that have wavered in faith and need just to be rekindled and strengthened and to be given new hope, to be given a calm and quiet spirit, I pray that you would provide that. For those that don't know you, for those that right now would say, I I don't know God, I don't know Jesus, I'm not quiet, I'm not content, I'm not hopeful, and I'm definitely not at rest. Help them to see that they could be at rest today. That it involves simply just a turn away from their self, a turn away from their sin, an act of repentance and a turning to you and trusting faith. And Father, help us to be messengers of this great message of hope. And we trust you, the God of all creation, the God of all comfort, to provide pride, contentment in our lives, to help us to be people that choose to live simply, that we would walk humbly that we would learn to trust and we would hold on to the hope that is only in you. Father, we're grateful for these things and so many more. And we thank you for the Savior who secured it by his death and his resurrection. And we rejoice in the truth that he's coming again. And we pray in his name, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus.
greatness of your mercy and love at the feet.